Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Kristen Eccleston. Kristen is a program specialist uh, for the McGrunder High School SESS program, Townsend University adjunct professor and a doctorate uh, degree owner. She has worked um, in uh, research focus on examining adolescent mental health impairments in the education environment and is well-versed in the needs of the neurodiverse brain. Her professional experiences include in-class teaching at secondary levels and designing and directing a specialized program for secondary students with mental health needs. Her doctorate is in mind, brain, and teaching from John Hopkins University. She has a master's of science in special education from John Hopkins and a certificate in educational leadership and administration from the college. She is also a national board certified teacher, exceptional needs specialist, and holds an advanced placement educator certificate. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to call out. (laughs) You know, uh, I think having a career that spans almost 20 years in special education, there is many of times that I have been in the trenches, but one that specifically calls out to me was probably at my last post where I was a secondary program specialist. I was cut out of the classroom at that point in time, really just overseeing a program Mm -hmm. that I had helped design and develop specifically for students with mental health needs at the high school level. And (laughs) this was a circumstance where when we had first started this program on, on its first year, we had five students and it just seemed to take off this idea. And this was pre pandemic even. So this idea of a need for specialized programs for students with mental health was showing us how prevalent that it, that it was needed. And ultimately by year five, we ended up with 58 students in what should have only been a 40 student capacity program. Mm-hmm. And people might think, oh, an extra 18 students, you know, but when you're looking at students who have significant mental health needs, like I'll, I'll put this in perspective, had this program not existed, these would have been students who would have otherwise been put into private placements that the county would have needed to pay for. Um, but because this program now existed, there was a place for these students to go and get a more detailed level of academic support and social emotional support. Mm-hmm. But when you have students with significant mental health needs, and when I say significant, I mean more than just feeling, oh, I'm a little anxious at school. I mean, Mm -hmm. students who at 17, 18 years old were starting to show signs and symptoms of schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, students who were significantly harming themselves at times, Um, students with borderline personality disorders that oftentimes resulted in some safety concerns. So these were students with some significant needs. Mm -hmm. So to overpack it by 18 students um, was significant. We, We had four primary teachers. We had some paraeducators or support personnel, but I had one social worker for an entire program. And it it felt like all the time that we were never able to progress forward or put procedures or processes or structures because it was just being firefighters 
every single day. Um, I, I was the program director per se, not a clinical person, but essentially my office almost became the waiting room to the social worker's office yeah. because we just didn't have the supports that we needed. I had a phenomenal administrative team, my principal, I can't say enough positive things about him. So he was definitely on my side, but this was more of an issue at a central office level, more than just within the school level of saying, hey, we have 58 students with significant needs. And at times we have major incidences that occur, safety incidences because of the level of mental health needs that are occurring. We need more supports. We need more bodies. We need more, I need more teachers in order to be able to offer more classes. I mean, part of the program was supposed to be this idea that there was only five to 10 students within a classroom. And that was Mm -hmm. part of the services of this program. Well, with 58 students, now you had close to having normal classroom sizes of 20 plus students. And and it was, it was one of the most frustrating things. And I felt very in the trenches and very alone because I felt like we had created this beautiful program over five years. My staff and I had been together from the beginning, my social worker, and we had really worked with having students who were school avoidant, who were now coming to school every single day, who were engaged, who were feeling more confident. So here is this building of this beautiful thing. And you just felt like it was going to crumble only because you were not getting the support or the resources that you needed in order to sustain it. And I couldn't fathom and understand why knowing that is essentially was a money saver for the county too. So why not give me these supports or services or why not open additional locations? Um, Because obviously if it's this popular and this needed, why wouldn't we want to have more students have access to something like this? Yeah, and that's like you say, it's a lot that funding piece. Um, the people who are the taxpayers are not in the program seeing what's happening. Uh, they're not uh, boots on the ground. Um, so like you've now shifted. Um, so you're working, uh, consulting, um, you're called a neurodiverse uh, teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And you're also working with the consulting firm, uh, Winefield uh, Education Group. So talk to me about uh, what you do through them. Absolutely. So part of the story that I just shared with you was kind of my awakening that mm-hmm. there was a need for students with mental health needs to get supports and services. And I loved what was there and what had been created, but I felt like it needed to be bigger than just my kind of small little mm-hmm. piece of the world. And so what I did was I stepped out now and I am the director of social emotional services for the Weinfeld education group, uh, where I am a partner and I specifically work with families of students with mental health needs to ensure that they are getting the supports and services that they need, either through a 504, an individual education plan, or just through accommodations and supports that are set up within the school building. But there are a lot of students out there, especially post-pandemic, who are really struggling with their mental health. I think so much so that the White House has even finally started to take notice about two weeks ago, a press release went out talking about the youth mental health crisis that we have on our hands. And so I am I'm an advocate for that and making sure that students feel like they have a space to go to and and feel like they can be successful and they can thrive. I tell students all the time, school doesn't have to be your favorite thing in the world. For many students, it will never be your favorite thing, but let's 
at least make it tolerable and make it feel like you can show up every day and be your authentic self and feel confident in, in what you were doing there um, to try to kind of break through that one size fits all mentality of education and provide students with something that's a little bit more individualized to them. So that is what I do as a neurodiverse teacher. I, I work with Weinfeld Education Group as an advocate, um, as an expert witness at times for court cases, specifically looking at brain functioning, processing, helping students get the supports and services they need. But then also as a speaker and an advocate to mental health, I help corporations and learning how to best work with their neurodiverse learners because I find that there is often a link to that mental health piece with being neurodiverse. But I think that time in the trenches really showed me the needs that are out there in the education. So part of what I'm doing now is just trying to be that voice to shed light to some of these, these topics and these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, especially with what you're seeing with this mass exodus of teachers right mm -hmm. now too, that there, there needs to be a voice. We need to start talking about what were the things that made people feel like they were willing to give up their tenure, their, you know, their pensions, yes. their, their, yeah. their career and, and leave how, why did it get so bad? And what are those things that we can start talking about them so we can fix them? Yeah, it's so important to remember, um, you know, what, what is the root of the problem, right? Um, it's not going to go away. <laughs> it's just right. gotten worse. And um, when you were in uh, Montgomery uh, County Public Schools, um, so director of SPED as well, um, you know, working as a program specialist, um, so you were kind of that person who would uh, oversee uh, the schools and the students that have the 504s and the IEPs. So, um, you know, you said this was pre-pandemic. So how, how was, um, you know, the support maybe getting, um, you know, getting your eyes on the schools, getting boots on the ground and those types of things. And how do you think it's like maybe gotten worse in the past couple of years? You know, I, I always felt like special education, you always had to be a squeaky wheel to get the supports that were needed. I, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I felt like that my my whole career leading up to the pandemic, which was 15 years in the school system, mm -hmm. I felt like you were constantly having to fight or advocate for what students needed or what supports and services need to be in place or saying, hey, these procedures and processes are, you know, they don't work anymore. Why aren't we doing yeah. it this way? And and that always seemed to be one of the biggest challenges of trying to get people to say, oh, why are we doing it that way? It was always like this mentality of, well, that's the way it's always been done, even though it might not have made sense anymore. So I feel like prior to the pandemic, it was a struggle. There was many mm -hmm. entrenched moments where you needed more supports or you needed more resources, but I think it's only gotten worse um, since the pandemic. I mean, not only have you had so many teachers who have exited the profession, I, I have a feeling, um, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but my gut tells me there's probably a large population of, of teachers who are probably special education teachers. And, and you were definitely in that profession because of your love for it. Um, I know some school systems, you might get more out of being a special education as far as rate or pay goes, but in, in my school system, you didn't. You did it because you loved being a special education teacher, which I loved, but there were always kind of these feelings that you were almost like the redheaded stepchild a little bit as far as the way the, the county saw or treated you. I can remember early on in my career, I had, I had a student hit me and when I was talking to the principal about it, it was kind of this mentality of, well, 
you chose to be a special education teacher. So you should just expect those things to happen to you. And this was not my most recent principle. This was early, early on in, in my career, but those are the things that kind of sit you like, yeah, I mean, I chose to be, but it's not like I chose to come to work every day and, and get beat up on or get mm-hmm. injured. You know, I, you know, I should be able to, you know, get pregnant and not fear for my health or my safety when I come to work every day type of thing. And you kind of just got the sense that you were a second class citizen in comparison to a lot of others. And I feel like that's probably what led a lot of teachers to to leave the profession was not so much the the children, but just yeah. these feelings of not feeling supported or that that you're more than just a number. And I think it's probably gotten worse because those who have been left standing, those who are still there or who did not leave, are now having the burden of everybody who has left. And I don't blame anyone who's left. You have to do what's right for you and your mental health, but it does leave who, the people who are standing kind of shorthanded. And I then worry about their mental health and their capacity and what kind of vicious cycle is this creating for them in terms of them feeling like I can continue on because at what point will they feel like, okay, I finally have been beaten down now too, because I don't have the supports and resources that I need. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, that's so, um, you know, it's eye-opening to know kind of like uh, the feeling that a lot of special educators get being felt uh, like they're a second-class citizen, their administrators don't understand what they're going through, um, you know, especially when you're told, like, you should expect this should happen. But, you know, people are getting into that type of teaching because they want to work with the kids. They have a passion for that. So, um, you know, let's hope that um, things do change around the support of special educators in the coming years. Um, Let's talk about your podcast. So you host the Neurodiverse podcast. It comes out every Friday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So talk to me about some of the guests um, and authors who you've interviewed. um, Or you've also said that you interview people who are neurodiverse themselves. I do. I, uh, on occasion, I do have authors or influencers. I had Clarissa Burt, who was one of uh, the top models. Uh, She came on and it was fantastic. But I think some of the conversations I love is I recently had an individual, his name is Hamish Hallett, who is phenomenal. He is a promoter of um, auditory processing disorder, but he's also a successful journalist as well. And it was really great to have him come on because really what the Neurodiverse Teacher Podcast is all about is for youth to really be able to connect and see other individuals who might be neurodiverse or speaking to neurodiversity and mental health, knowing that they're not alone, knowing that it's okay to stand out, um, seeing people who have been neurodiverse, who have had challenges in school, who've then gone on to be successful. To me, that's that purpose of that podcast and what I felt was needed. I I feel like so many students I have worked with in the past or even currently, there's this current idea of, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be seen different. Although I have neurodiversity, uh, you know, I have ADHD, I, I'm 
I have autism, any of those things that make them feel less than and or not want to stand out. I really want to share this message of no stand out. That's what makes you you. That's what makes you wonderful. It's okay to be different and you're not alone in your feelings, but here's what you can achieve and what they can look like when you finally take ownership of who you are and really embrace how you're different and apply it in a positive way. And so that's, that's really what the platform of the neurodiverse teacher podcast is supposed to express. It's just this idea of accept who you are and really own it because that's when these kind of wonderful things will start happening for you. And it's interesting, like I mentioned, you have your doctorate in mind, brain uh, teaching. Um, so uh, what was some of the research that you did during your doctorate uh, into neurodiversity? Absolutely. So I specifically looked at mental health in the education setting. And some of the research that I, I went into is I wanted to understand why so many students who have mental health needs end up not being identified till they've almost kind of hit the wall already. Like, well, how are we missing these red flags that are occurring? And a couple of pieces came out from my research, but the main, the main one was really centered around teachers just not having a good understanding of what mental health is and what it looks like. I mean, if you look back at what kind of university prep programs are out there for teachers, there's not usually this mental health one-on-one. Um, so a lot of times teachers come in with either personal biases of what mental health is, um, you know, what they've heard on the media or things that may not be accurate in depicting what mental health is. Um, mm -hmm. I found that most teachers are, are game for wanting to learn more, wanting to understand, but there's definitely some time constraints in everything that we expect teachers to know and do and understand and the professional development. Um, but when teachers are provided the time to really deep dive into what mental health is, what it could look like, especially for our internalizing students who are not necessarily the squeaky wheels, that it actually can be very successful in being able to help identify students since teachers are the ones who spend time with students the most. Um, I know the press release from the White House, I'm harping back to this a little bit, I, I was reading through it and it's dedicated into supplying a lot of extra clinical support staff into the school system. So social workers, school psychologists, which I think is phenomenal. Anytime we're bringing any attention to it or supplying resources, I think it's great. But my concern is they're not the ones who are necessarily spending all their time with students, teachers are. And I'm not looking to add on more to teachers' plates. Like even if it was a system where teachers were then referring it on to those people, that's wonderful. But teachers probably need to be the ones who can identify who those students are first. And there was nothing in this plan that had anything to do with helping teachers to understand what mental health is or what it looks like or how to best serve your student or what your classroom structure or, or lesson plans should look like when you know you're dealing with students with mental health. And that was concerning to me because to me, it was just kind of putting a, a, a Band-Aid on a, a bullet hole that we're not really going to achieve what we want to achieve if the, if the people who actually need to know the information are not being given to it. I think you would find a lot of teachers who were like, please help me understand what this looks like but I'm not necessarily the clinical person, but I can help you identify and point these students out and start shepherding to them, to the people who can get them the supports, the services or the resources. But unless social workers and psychologists are gonna go start sitting in classrooms, we're still gonna have that identification issue that's, that it currently exists. Um, so you've talked a lot about advocacy and some of your passion around that. Um, what are some other areas around um, advocacy for 
students with special needs and their families that you would like to share on this podcast? Sure. So I have found that there's a lot of links to mental health and neurodiversity, but I have found that a lot of our students who are neurodiverse tend to be the students who are impacted the most by mental health. It doesn't mean that you have to have one to have the other, but I have found that it's kind of a common denominator there. And I think a lot of it comes down to a lot of neurodiverse students really feel like they don't fit in that one size fits all box that education is kind of become. And as a result of that, that's when you get a lot of negative messages, even if they're direct or indirect from teachers, you really start to kind of internalize these feelings of something is wrong with me. I don't learn right. Why do I need to be in special education? Or why do I need a 504? Like, you don't feel like you're not capable of things. And in fact, in areas of your interest, you usually tend to exceed and do very, very well when you're neurodiverse. So things that I think that are important for parents to understand is you really need to validate and hear your child who may be neurodiverse because that's where I think some of those mental health pieces creep in is just the sense of feeling like my worth is not the same as my neurotypical peers. Something is wrong with me and I'm not capable when really a lot of our neurodiverse students are incredibly intelligent, highly intelligent, but they're just not in a setting that is conducive to who they are as a learner and what they need to learn. And so I think having parents validate, hey, I know how capable you are and how wonderful of a student you are and, and that this is hard for you the way that it's set up, but what can we do to try to create procedures or processes or structures for you that will at least help you get through school and really remind them of this concept of that once you get through high school, when you get to college, trade school, or wherever your interests lie, you're really going to find your own and really become a different person because that's when you're going to get to excel is when you really get to that area of interest. And to me, that's important for, for those students and for those parents to be aware of. Yeah. It's all about like looking at kids' strengths, finding mm -hmm. out like what they can do and what this leads them to be successful in. And I think, yeah, as a, as a preteen, you know, younger teens, um, kids that are younger than that, it's often hard to you know, see that they are different and um, embrace yeah. those differences. Yes. Yes. Because as a teen, we feel like being different makes us weird or makes us stand mm -hmm. out. Or, And I think you have a lot of neurodiverse people who are good at masking that because you don't want to feel mm -hmm. weird or stand yeah. out. But hopefully one day they find out that, oh, wait, well, that's actually what makes me me. That's what really makes me, that's my gift or my talent is this thing that I didn't want people to know about me. And really, talking about neurodiversity, I think is a way to start normalizing it too. And letting people know that there's a lot of other people out there, incredibly smart, talented celebrities, you know, Simone Biles, when she came out during her Olympic days, talking about how she was ADHD, things like that to me are really important for neurodiverse youth to hear, because I think that helps with that mental health piece of not feeling as alone and seeing other people be successful who are also dealing with some of the same things they are. Well, we've talked a lot about neurodiversity, uh, embracing differences, your podcast and your research. Out of everything we've discussed today on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I'd like them to remember that they are amazing individuals. To me, no matter who you are, if you're neurodiverse, if you're neurotypical, you would just have so many gifts. But I want you to remember that everybody else has other things that they're dealing with, other gifts that they have, and really just remember to embrace one another, that we're kind of all in this together. And the more that we can build up and support one another, the better that we're going to be able to get through some of these challenges and lives and come up 
come up with the solutions that we need to create a more harmonious and successful, not only education system, but hopefully world. And I know that sounds very Miss America, but I truly believe that it's a kind of a team effort here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where can people connect with you and find you online? Absolutely. So they can come and visit me at www.theneurodiverseteacher.com or on Instagram and TikTok. I am at the dot neurodiverse dot teacher. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I loved being here. Appreciate it. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at out of trenches PC. Thank you.